I installed two new toilet seats today that I'm very excited about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm very excited about these toilet uh, yeah. seats. are going to change they're, my life. They're soft, closed toilet seats. I'm really excited about them. <laughs> Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man who claims Kid Rock stole his idea to popularize being an absolute scumbag, my brother Mike. He did steal my idea, right? You see this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see that mustache, people? You see this facial hair in general? If you're on YouTube, you see it, all right? This is scumbag facial hair. Of course, he stole that from me, too. Um, you know, there's a lot of us, though. Fred Durst, Kid Rock, a lot of the popular musicians from the 90s. They stole my idea. Mike swing, singing Sweet Home yeah. Alabama all summer long. Just all summer all long. All summer long. <laughs> Trying different things and doing funny things. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I love how he rhymes things with things. That's a classic Mickey. <laughs> this guy is a legend. Uh, my, uh, my partner uh, asked when I, when I wrote this, she asked, uh, is Kid Rock a scumbag? And I'm like, and not only is he, he's like leaning into it. Like he's like, this is my, yeah, this is my like, whole ethos. <laughs> The 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 shtick is I'm a scumbag. That's that's the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, it's a good time to bring some levity to things. Other scumbags flock to me. That's how. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. Well, it's it's lovely to have some levity right off the beginning here because the rest of this is going to be pretty dark. No, so uh, <laughs> so get ready for that. Uh, on this week's episode of Royals Weekly, we'll try to our darndest to review a hellacious week of Royals baseball, discuss the team's offensive turnaround, which a little bit of uh, happiness thrown in there too. And then we'll preview this week's games as we always do. But first, Royals Weekly is brought to you by Knapp Family Wealth. Mike, can you think of anything more important than securing your financial future? Uh, my life-size Corey Haim action figure? No. How about my life-size Corey Feldman action figure? That's the one. I know you're big on Feldman, but also no. Securing your financial future is one of the most important steps someone can take for themselves and their family, and Nap Family Wealth is ready to help you pursue it. This isn't some big, faceless corporation we're talking about here. Nap Family Wealth is run by J.C. Knapp. He's a huge baseball fan, and he's been helping people plan for their financial futures for 20 years. He can help with retirement planning so you don't have to work until you're dead, education planning so your kids learn to read good, and investment management so you can get all that money out of your mattress and get it working for you. Don't spend another day thinking you've got it all figured out because trust me, you don't. Check out Nap Family Wealth at napfamilywealth.com. That's K-N-A-P-P familywealth.com. Security and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA slash SIPC. We'll start this week's review with roster news, and there is a bunch of it because the Royals have been hit by a weird combination of needing different players and players getting hurt and just weird stuff. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the weird week in roster news. It sort of opened up this week by uh, optioning Franmil Reyes down to AAA. He's remember when they signed him to that minor league deal, he had options left, so they were able to use one of those to option him down, and then they recalled Freddie Fermin as part of that sort of correlating move type of thing. Mike, what do you think about the notion of sending Reyes down and bringing Fermin back up for like the second time, maybe third time this year? Well, I like it, especially since he's gotten a couple opportunities to hit. The thing about Franmil Reyes is we all saw that he had a really good spring and we were very hopeful that he would come in and be able to provide some offense for this team, but he's a, a kind of a one trick pony. And the, the, you know, in that if he does not offer offensive value, if he's not giving you that, then he's really hurting you. 
Whereas a guy like Freddie Fermin is going to hopefully provide offensive value, which he has since he's come up and provide you defensive value. So Salvador Perez doesn't have to catch every day. So MJ Melendez can stay in the outfield, those types of things, reasons that we thought he would make the opening day roster originally. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm totally for this. It's been good to see for hit a couple home runs. Uh, it's been good to see him in the lineup and behind the plate, honestly, although, you know, he's had a hiccup here or there behind the plate, but he's definitely a, a valuable backup catcher to have on a team. And so really happy for Freddie Fermin to uh, get up and, and show what he can do. Cause it's time for him to show, show what he can do in major league baseball. Yeah, he was having a bunch of offensive success down in AAA. He was doing very well down there offensively. He's a guy who has a much better glove than MJ Melendez. Yes, he's had some hiccups, but I think he'll settle down a little bit and just sort of start settling into a groove there. You also don't have to worry too much about Fermin's long-term prospect status because he is a little bit older as a prospect. So this is his prime. He needs to be either contributing at the major league level or we need to think of him as like an org guy and he needs to spend time in the minors and stuff like that. So I'm glad to see him up because you're right, he is very much holding his own at the plate. He's doing a great, a good enough, very good, solid job, I would say, defensively. Uh, certainly better than MJ Melendez can do. And that does just, I think, add to the overall diversity of this roster, right? Allowing MJ Melendez to stay in right field, just work there, and maybe focus only on pl- being a right fielder and getting himself right at the plate is hugely beneficial for him. Uh, so I love to see Fermin out there hitting the ground running. I think he's going to do great for this team for the rest of the year, honestly. I don't know if it uh, makes sense to send him down ever at this point. Yeah, me either. But And we know the Royals have been very good at kind of producing backup catchers, you know? Whether you go, you can go back like Brian Pena and Willie Pena and Gallagher. and Willie Pena you know, was a pitcher, I'm pretty sure. Wasn't what? Which, which, what's uh, Manny Pena? Manny, Manny Pena. Pena, yes. Yeah, my bad. Uh, <laughs> Pena, yeah, okay. Sorry, I'm getting them mixed up here. Uh, but we've, we've had guys that have come through and gone and played for other organizations. Here's my question to you Do you think there are 29 guys who start catching that are better than Freddie Fermin in Major League Baseball? I, I, I don't. I, I don't think so. No, I really well, don't think so. I thought the same so, thing when Brian Pena was our backup and M- Manny Pena, I think, went out and ended up starting quite a bit for Milwaukee. In his best years, he was their starting catcher. So we ended up producing quite a few of those catchers who are sort of maybe borderline backup guys, solid backups who end up having a chance to start in some places. I think Freddie Fermin would start for quite a few teams. Um, exactly. But, you know, so it's great to see him up. And, and the good thing about him coming up is you know he's not just going to sit there on the bench. Like, even though he's not a long-term kind of prospect kind of guy, you know that he's going to get rotation time because, you know, this is a different this is a different coaching staff. They rotate their players in, and Fermin doesn't show any, and to my knowledge, any massive split that says he has to sit against all of these types of guys. And so you're going to see him give Salvador Perez quite a few off days, even whereas in the past Mike Matheny would be completely opposed to playing anyone who isn't Salvador Perez a catcher every single day. And so it's nice to know that Fermin isn't going to just languish on the bench. He's going to get some time to perform uh, at the major league level. That's nice. Nicky Lopez was also placed on the 10 day injured list with appendicitis. This is one of those weird things that happened. There are going to be a few weird things that happened roster wise this week. Nicky Lopez gets hit with a bout of appendicitis, has to get an emergency appendectomy. And as a result, he's on the 10 day injured list. He's, he is fine. He's back with the team and everything, but this gave the Royals a chance to recall Mikel Garcia, a move that a lot of fans were sort of clamoring for was to get Garcia up, get him in the infield. Let's see what he's got. Mike, what do you think about the sort of uh, call-up of, of Mikel Garcia and the IL stint for Nicky Lopez? Well, it's sad to hear that for Nicky, you know, kind of a just a weird thing that happens every once in a while. From what I heard, they're saying about a month for that recovery. 
I don't know. I that that seems long to me, but that's what I saw on the official statement thing. I was like, they said four weeks. I'm like, what's four weeks? It's a once once the thing's done. What do you what, you know? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but uh, it is. This is kind of the Garcia that we thought we were going to see last year when he came up. The the one that we've seen in in minor league baseball with the patience and the ability to drive the ball some, which has been good. We've seen him hit the ball hard while he's been up here. I saw one night he had, I think almost every, every ball he hit was over 95 miles an hour. Um, now some, a couple of them end up being outs, but it's like, that's what you want from him. If he's consistently driving the ball and he's patient at the plate, which is his MO, then you know, the defense is going to be good. And he's shown some things at third too, which has been really good to see. So he's one of the guys I'm going to talk about a little bit later too, with, you know, the offensive turnaround has kind of rested on Fermin coming up, Prado coming up, him coming up and, and showing some things this week. Um, it's been really impressive. Yeah. And the thing I love about Garcia as a player and a prospect is his game fits his profile so well. It's like he knows this is who I am and this is what I need to do to be successful on the on the baseball field. I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, and I, I started to wonder the other day, like in the minor leagues, do they ever just sit these guys down and say, I want you to to think about and to talk about what type of profile you have as a player and what that means for what you should be doing at the plate or on the mound and that sort of thing. Because I think one of the issues I constantly see with prospects and major league players or people trying to transition from minor leagues to major leagues is guys not understanding what type of player they are and what that means for how they should be developing, right? Garcia completely understands. He knows, hey, I'm a middle infielder. I am not a big time power guy. I am a guy who's going to live and die with my approach at the plate. So I got to have a high walk rate. I got to be able to get on base no matter what. I'm a table setter and a line drive rate. And so what does he do? He hits a ton of line drives and he takes a bunch of walks. And it's like, that's you will be extremely successful, Michael Garcia, if all you ever learn to do is hit line drives, take watts and play solid defense. And so far, that's what he's been doing. He, he was a little shaky at short the other day, but at third, he's been very good for them, a much better option than some of the other ones they have. So yes, it has been great to see him come in and start hitting some balls harder too. Like yes, a ton of line drives. And it almost looks like sometimes when he's in a groove that he can hit a soft line drive for a single whenever he wants to. That's what it looks like. He's so good at like finding that barrel right where it needs to be and just lofting one over a shortstop and saying, okay, I'll take that RBI. I'll take that single, you know, whatever. And so that's great to see, but he has been hitting some balls over a hundred miles an hour. He's been hit, putting the charge into a couple of them, which was the big question for him. Is Kaufman the best park for him? Yes and no, right? He's, he is going to have a harder time hitting balls out than almost anyone. It's going to have to be pretty much straight down the line for him to get a ball out. But it's such a big outfield that line drive approach will really play for him. He should have a high batting average in Kaufman. He should be somebody who is getting on base via the walk and that batting average inside Kaufman. So it's great to see him hit the ground running. I He's making a case to stay, and I think you have a hard time sending him back down, at least right now. We'll see in a few weeks when Lopez comes back. And don't be surprised if at some point when he maybe maybe they wait till he's more established and shown a little bit more or more consistency. But don't be surprised if he ends up being a one hitter, people, because he walks and because he hits consistently that, you know, profiles well. And he can run a little bit. He's never I don't know if he's going to be a high stolen base guy, but but he, he can run. He's athletic. So, you know, I, I know we love Bobby and Bobby's there right now, but Bobby's never shown the patience to be a one hitter, honestly. And so don't be surprised if you see Michael Garcia in a year or two in that one spot. And maybe Bobby moves down to the two or maybe he flips to the three and, and Vinny stays in the two or whatever. 
Yeah, I think that would be an amazing idea. To me, Garcia almost fits your prototypical one hitter to a T if you almost, can continue to walk yeah. it at such a high rate. Um, that, that would be actually a really, really good idea. And so, yeah, hopefully Garcia might get his chance up there later. Hopefully he gets to stick around in Major League Baseball once Nicky comes back. And hopefully Nicky's feeling better. Uh, the Royals also brought up Austin Cox and Jonathan Heasley this week as like a uh, move for some pitching depth. They just they needed more pitching. They're in a long stretch of games. Minor league or uh, their bullpen is a little bit fried. They brought up Austin Cox. They brought up Jonathan Heasley. Like, what are your thoughts on getting to see those two guys, who one of whom was very successful at AAA this year so far, and one of whom was not? Yeah, it was good to see uh, Austin Cox, and I, we kind of know what Jonathan Heasley is at this point, but I. I've never been all that high on Austin Cox, but he's shown some stuff this year that maybe his fastball has improved a little bit. I never liked his fastball all that much. That was the the issue that I had. I always felt like it was something he was trying to work around instead of using as a weapon. Um, But both these guys have now been sent down again. Am I correct on that? I know Castillo came up today because one of at least one of them went down. Um, Good call. And so, uh, yeah, it, 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 that's what they are. So, and Mark and I, you talked about this. We talked about this at the beginning. You can see that we thought it was going to be, you can see that bullpen in Omaha, like it's part of the bullpen in Kansas city, but maybe you can also see that starting rotation in Omaha. Like it's part of the bullpen in Kansas city, because honestly, none of those guys are real prospects as starters. You know, maybe Austin Cox is if he starts showing some things as a starter, but I think they probably like him more in a Ryan Yarbrough type role. I think, that's going to be where he kind of thrives in Major League Baseball. Jonathan Heasley is probably going to be a guy his whole career who is just up and down, providing starts when he has to, filling in to be the long reliever when he, they need him. But unless he drastically improves that fastball and probably at least one of his other pitches stuff-wise, I don't think he's the kind of guy that can really make it in Major League Baseball. Um, and so you're going to see them come up and down a lot. Max Castillo is honestly, in my opinion, pretty much the same thing. Um, unless something drastically changes, he's pretty much the same thing. So they're just kind of rotating those guys in and out as needed. And of course, really crappy to see Yarbrough take that ball off the head slash face today, uh, hoping he's doing okay. Haven't got a whole lot of updates from the Royals on that, just that he was um, conscious and you know made it off the field pretty much, but they didn't really update, or at least I haven't seen an update on his condition. So the best to Ryan Yarbrough, but... We're going to continue to see these guys cycling through. Yeah, you're right. Heasley was sent down again today. I'm sorry I missed that part. Um, but yes, uh, this becomes all that more important because Ryan Yarbrough did leave today's game after taking a line drive right off his face. It was 106 miles an hour off the bat. And just really, it, I was watching it at the time. I didn't get to watch a ton of the game today because live anyway, because I was working today. But he did take a line drive right off the face. Very scary. Um, luckily, he did walk off under his own power. He was, you know, as the Royals said, he was conscious the whole time. But you can imagine what kind of damage a 100 mile an hour or 106 mile an hour ball can do, including trauma to the the head and perhaps a concussion or something like that. So we're hoping for the best for Ryan Yarbrough. He was pitching great today when he got taken out, uh, taken out when he got injured. Um, And so hopefully all the best for him. I'm really intrigued by Austin Cox. I was never high on him either. You and I saw him live down in Northwest Arkansas last year uh, and wasn't all that impressed with his stuff at the time, but he's one of those guys who's seemingly benefited from this change in minor league pitching philosophy and approach. And yes, I think that fastball has gotten a little better. We saw him throw, and I think it plays better out of the bullpen too. Like we saw him throw it 93, 94 at times, like he was hit, hit, touching those numbers, topping those numbers in some of his major league outings. That could just be adrenaline of his first couple outings in the major leagues. 
but or his first outing, I guess. Um, but it's good to see him have a little bit of success to start. I think he threw a couple of shutout innings in his first uh, appearance. Heasley is a guy who I, I completely agree with your assessment. He's a marginal guy unless something changes, unless you know his stuff takes a different direction, he develops a different pitch, something like that. He will be. But the good thing about this organization is this organization will constantly try and push him and encourage him to start to do those things that might make him a different type of pitcher, to develop a new pitch, do something different. If you're stuck in that, I'm a marginal guy, do something different to see if you can become something usable at the major league level. And I think Heasley probably will try at the very least, which is as much as we can we can hope for. Another bad injury uh, this week wasn't a ter- like devastating, but it was another thing we the Royals didn't need. Kyle Isbell was placed on the 10-day injured list with a hamstring strain. He got it on a great play where he lays down this uh, basically a safety squeeze uh, to score a run to tie the game up for the Royals late in a game against uh, who's that against Mike? Was that an Oakland game uh, or a, or a Baltimore game? I think, I think it was, it was a, maybe Oakland. a Baltimore game. I can't. Remember. I can't remember either last one of, game one of the, games the Orioles or first game of the A's. I can't remember which one. It was one of those two, I think. Uh, so he lays down a great squeeze, squeeze, or safety squeeze, and then hurts his hamstring, legging out what ultimately was a single for him. Uh, that means Nate Eaton was recalled. Mike, do you have any thoughts on 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 Isbell to the IL and Eaton back up to major leagues? That sucks for Kyle Isbell because he was starting to turn. It looked like he was starting to turn a corner offensively, a little bit more patience at the plate. He was really driving balls like we saw when he was doing his best hitting last year. Um, So it really sucks for him. Hopefully he take, you know, these things can take a lot of time. Those soft tissue uh, issues can take a long time. And sometimes you got to just, when you think you're ready, you have to take another week or two just to make sure that you're not going to re hurt yourself. So uh, hopefully he can get back. I wish, you know, if something like this is going to happen, you want to have drew waters back. He's not ready yet either. Um, Nate Eaton comes back up and I hope we can see a different Nate Eaton offensively, but I'm not, uh, not optimistic. Let me put it that way. Yeah, this is really a gut punch for Isbell because it looked like he was, you know, starting to turn it around at the plate. You know, he, the thing that I think was turning it around for him was, yeah, he was a little bit more patient, at least in terms of like picking pitches out to hit, but he was also driving the ball the other way. He was using the whole field and that's what really makes the difference for him. At least, I mean, would I like it if his walk rate were doubled and he were walking it around 10%? Yes, I would love that. I don't think he's in that place right now where he can do that. He needs to get there. But what he was doing was finding the barrel, driving the ball the other way, driving the ball into gaps, and it was really looking good for him. Uh, I I almost picked him for my strong performer of the week this week. He just didn't get enough plate appearances after the injury. And so hopefully he can hit the ground running. We're thinking, I think they were thinking four to six weeks on the hamstring. It's a strain. It's not a pull, which I don't know the distinction, and it's not a tear, which would be even worse. Um, And so... Hopefully it doesn't linger. Hopefully he can find a way to get back and feel good. But I really don't want them to rush him. You know, he's he's a guy who needs every ounce of speed he has because he doesn't have that much. And yet he plays center field. And so hopefully they can give him a moment. He gets all all better. And hopefully Eaton can, can sort of stand out while he's here. I, I don't know how much playing time he'll get. I think Jackie Bradley Jr. will see most of the time in center. But Nate Eaton will certainly get a few innings out there as well. And hopefully he can show us a better approach to the plate. He was hitting a little bit better in Omaha. And hopefully that carries over. You mentioned Drew Waters. Uh, The last bit of roster news we have is that he and Daniel Lynch were both sent out on rehab assignments. Uh, Drew Waters, unfortunately, had a tiny setback. And so he didn't end up making his rehab assignment. He went back to extended spring training, but he is playing in games now. And so he'll probably go out again on another one soon. Lynch has made one rehab start yesterday, like a four or five days ago, and then made his second rehab start for AAA Omaha today. I 
think he went something like three innings. Yeah, it was around, uh, around three. With, uh, three strikeouts, a couple of walks, no runs. Uh, he did have like, I think he threw something like 75 pitches in there. Um, so mixed results in some of those rehab starts. The important thing is he's back and throwing again. Mike, what are your thoughts on on Waters, who are, hopefully will be back soon, and Lynch, who looks like he's going to be back real soon? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where Drew Waters is just because he had some success last year, but his peripheral numbers weren't all great with the Royals, but you know the, the outcome numbers were really good, the production numbers. Um, I'm still hesitant with Daniel Lynch because you know I still question his, lo- his ability to locate, especially his fastball. I still question the effectiveness of the slider and this, and especially the fastball. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't want them to go and throw Daniel Lynch into major league baseball because they're short a starter for him to just keep doing the same things he's been doing and go four innings, throwing a hundred pitches and, you know, giving up six runs. I, nah, that's not keep him down there, develop him and, let the, you know, let the Max Castillo's and the John Heasley's and the Austin Cox's fill in those spots where needed, hopefully the Ryan Yarbrough, if he's not still, uh, if he's not too badly hurt, um, to fill, fill in for those things. That, that's what guys like that are for. Use that and then develop Daniel Lynch so that he can be a usable piece for you in the future. Yeah. I, I wonder if what they're going to do is I think he's only allowed to stay like, to do so many rehab starts or have so much rehab time. Uh, before he has to come up again. And so I don't think they're going to like option him down to AAA uh, from the active roster or anything like that. And so I think what they're going to have to do is either give him a shot in the majors and say like, well, let's see how it goes here uh, with with whatever you're trying to do differently this year. I, I, the thing I'm iffy about with Lynch, and I've shared this in the past, is I just don't think his stuff is all that good right now. I think it could be. I think his command isn't great. I think you're talking 45, 50 grade command from him, but also very average to slightly below average stuff. And that doesn't mean he can't get swings and misses. That doesn't mean there aren't times when he doesn't look dominant, but I just worry that, you know, in the past we've seen Lynch sometimes too much in the heart of the plate and his stuff isn't good enough to live there and he just gets crushed. Right. And so the question is what's going to, what, what's Lynch going to look like when he comes back? I know you and I had a big conversation before the year started, his feeling that his stuff is good enough. And my feeling that uh, I'm not hundred percent sure that it is. We'll see what that comes to. And maybe he's worked on that some while he's been recovering. I'm not sure. And the thing that the, another thing that gets you, and it, it really hurts him too, because it drives up his pitch count like crazy. There will be games when he cannot put people away. They will foul off pitch after pitch after pitch on that guy. And that, that tells you what you need to know. Or that's another reason why he ends up walking so many guys. He, they keep fouling off pitches because he doesn't, he can't put them away. And then he ends up throwing to another ball. You know, the count gets to three and two and he walks them. And so, yeah, I, I have an agreement. I, I, you know, I like, I like some of his stuff. I like his changeup. I like his slider. I don't think his fastball plays good enough. I don't think this either one of those, the slider or the changeup is a, is a real dominant pitch though. And so, yeah, I think he still needs, a lot, but I think the tools are there. I just don't think he's, uh, he's quite put them all together yet on the field this week. It was, uh, well, it was ball. It was bad, right? Another dejecting week for a team that now seems to be using spit and duct tape to keep it all together. The Royals started the week by dropping two of three to the Orioles and then ended it by losing two of three to the lowly Oakland A's. That was a series we were hoping for more from. Let's just say it that way. We were hoping for more from that Oakland series. Mike, what did you learn from this week of Royals baseball? 
I think I think if we're trying to say anything, we were hoping to prove we weren't the worst team in baseball is what we're trying to do. <laughs> trying to prove we were just a little bit better than that team that isn't even trying to win. Okay. And is yeah. has a yeah. possum living in the press box and is leaving town soon. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. Um, here's what we learned this week. That bad teams can always beat other bad teams in baseball. And how does one bad team beat another bad team? Don't make as many mistakes. Don't give up as many free bases. They even mentioned it on the broadcast. A Royals broadcast finally mentioned that, and, and Lefevre said the exact number in one of those games. We, they've given up like 17 free bases today between walks, hit batters, guys they let take extra bases. It was like the Royals have to lead the league and hit batters at this point, right? They have to lead the league and hit batters. Brady Singer himself must lead everyone and hit batters. That's just the thing they do all the time. And you and I are just like either talking, texting or talking on Twitter. Like, does Amir Garrett have to walk the first guy he sees every time? Does he have to? Does Brad Keller have to walk the first guy of every every start and every inning? It, like these are all great it's questions. Unbelievable. The it's, the the walk thing is just it's wild to me. So yeah, it, it was bad. We we uh we lost a series to what is largely considered the worst organization slash team in baseball. Yeah, so. yeah, and this has been bringing up a uh, an old saying from Royals manager Buddy Bell. A lot of people have been citing it around Royals Twitter and just sort of talking about it. And that is never say it can't get any worse, right? Like because. You know, we thought that, okay, well, here comes a stretch where the Royals have, might have some chance to win some games. And it's like, oh, no, oh, no, no, they, they lost. Have you guys seen that meme of the, of the guy dressed in, in uh, he's got like a Nazi or SS uniform on. And he's like, oh, no, are we the baddies? Like, are we the bad guys? It's almost like we realized, oh, no, are we the worst team in the league? <laughs> like, oh, no. Hey, <laughs> what happened? We're, we're, we're in last place in the worst division. Does that make us the worst team? <laughs> we have the worst record. Is that the thing that makes you the worst team? Um, and so, yeah, I think they actually just, they gained the not worst record back today with their win against Oakland. And so we, we are now technically still not the worst team in the league, but we did lose two of three to the worst team in the league. Uh, crushing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, Mike. We did have some strong performance this week, especially in a week where the offense was at least able to score quite a bit. Tell us uh, who you liked uh, as, as your strong performer this week. You know, I think he was the strong performer for us last week. I think he was my strong performer last week, but I had to go with him again because he was Mr. Do Everything this week. Salvador Perez, nine for 23 with four home runs, six RBI. Salvador Perez walked three times this week. That's unheard of. And only four strikeouts, not to mention, let's sprinkle in a little uh, assist for the Lorenzo Cain retirement ceremony as well, because he was a part of that as he well, he very much needed to be. Um, Yeah. So Salvador Perez, he did it all this week. So great job, Salvador Perez. We love you. Yes, we know there will be a week where you don't get hardly a single hit at all, but we're okay with that because you know what? You're awesome. Yes, and he will always end up having weeks like this too, where he's just lava hot and you know ends up carrying. The one he hit today was whoa, oh, man! Like you can tell, he knows he hit it really well when he just sort of stands there, and it's like mm-hmm. his bat didn't seem to slow down on impact at all. It was like boom, and the ball is like you can't even see it, you can't hear it. It's just it's it's moving faster than than light, and so yeah, great to see him. He also played real well defensively this week, I think, or at least pretty well. He grabbed a base dealer today. One of the I think he's probably the best base dealer, one of the best base dealers in Major League Baseball. Threw him out a second today, so yeah, it was good to see him uh, have a really really great week. My strong performer is a guy who we're really all really excited about, I think, and has really been a part of the turnaround of this offense, and that's Mikel Garcia. 
Like he went eight for 23 this week with two doubles, five RBIs, one walk, one strikeout, two stolen bases. That's a good Michael Garcia line. That's basically what you're going to see from him. It's going to be a lot of singles, uh, a couple extra base hits. It'll be doubles in the gaps and stuff like that. But hopefully what we're looking for is the same number of walks as strikeouts. That's what you're, if you're going to pay attention to a Mikel Garcia number, are his, it's his strikeout to walk ratio. Are they roughly even? But what I love from him is that it's a professional plate appearance every time up there. We don't have these moments where we're like, oh, did he just swing it three through three straight pitches and sat down? Like he doesn't look like he's chasing a ton. He doesn't look overwhelmed at the plate at all. He doesn't look like he's out of his depth. It is so nice to see a professional plate appearance from Michael Garcia that frankly we don't see from everybody in this lineup. And so I love it. Love that he's up. Love that he's doing well. Awesome to see him hit the ground running. In a week where you lose a series to the Oakland A's, you're going to have some weak performers. That's just sort of how, that's a rule. I didn't make it. Somebody else made it. Um, Mike, tell us who did not live up to uh, up to par this week. Uh, well, well, a guy that we didn't really, our expectations aren't really high anyway, but I had to put him in there because the pitching staff was a problem. And we thought it would be at the beginning of the year. And so it's not a surprise the pitching staff is a problem. Jordan Lyles went five innings pitched, gave up eight runs. Now, only six of those were earned. But here's the thing about runs versus earned runs. If you give up eight runs and only six earned runs, two of those, you still gave up. You still had opportunities not to give those up, and you did. So, yeah, Jordan Lyles, you gave up way too many runs. They left him in there for the whole time because, like I think Alex uh, Duvall put this out on Twitter, he, that's actually what you're, he's supposed to do, right? Now, we'd rather him have not, not have eight, give up eight runs, but he's got to pitch five innings all the time. His value in the contract you gave him is to just pitch innings. So even if he's getting crushed, he's got to pitch innings. Uh, he gave up two walks, He's and that's the weird thing. He's walked so many guys, and his career track record is not walking mm-hmm. guys. What is going on? Um, and so, yeah, Lyles, two walks and three Ks and five innings. Uh, not a great, uh, not a great showing Jordan Lyles. Uh, love if he could do better than that, bud. And that's the thing. Lyles is track. They signed him because his track record is not walking guys. You know, they were like, you're going to eat innings and you're not going to walk, give up walks. And that's what we really care about. But he's been walking a lot more guys this year. And that's not good to see because he's not a guy who's going to overpower you with stuff. And so. You know, you want him in the strike zone. You can't be giving away free bases. Um, yeah, it was tough to see. That outing was particularly troubling because in the first inning, he he like mowed down the first two hitters. Then an error happened, and he seemed to crumble. And it's like, you're a veteran pitcher. You should be able to get a, over an error being made in that inning. But no, he crumbled. He gives up a couple runs or a home run or something like that. And it's like, man, you got to be better than that. Uh, hopefully, he can sort yeah. of start to rebound in some way. Not exactly sure how that's going to happen, but we'll see. Uh, my weak performer was also from the pitching staff because they played really bad this week. Uh, and we're learning right now that actually things are as we thought they would be, right? Like we were at the beginning of the year, the pitching staff was probably outperforming the offense a little bit. Now it has gone back to like the reverse of that. It is now exactly how it's nice to know we weren't so wrong about this season that, you know, you know, the issues aren't the issues. And so my, my week performer this week is Brady Singer. He went four innings pitched, five earned runs with one home run, three walks, another common thing, and four strikeouts in his outing. The, the stat that kills me, two change-ups thrown. That's it. Threw only two change-ups in that outing. Not good for Brady Singer. Somebody asked me the other day when we went to the game, hey, what's up with Singer? And I, the first thing I cited was, well, his fastball velocity is down about a mile and a half. That's not good. And that is, 
I definitely think one of the issues he's having, he's just not getting as much uh, swing and miss off the fastball. He's not getting as many guys confused by it because the velocity is down. And then no changeups thrown. He doesn't have a third pitch at this point. Doesn't ever throw it. The guys never get to see anything different. And so they're teeing off either on that now weaker fastball or a slider that occasionally gets hung in the zone. It's not good for Brady Singer. Hopefully he can find a way to turn it around. He's got to start throwing that change up more. He's got to do something differently because the league has figured him out and that drop in velocity is hurting him a lot, I think. Mike, we're, we're, we're running long already. Go ahead and give us your theme for this week so we can uh, we can move on to our spotlight segment. I'm keeping it positive with the theme this week. It's let's get offensive, you know? Ugh. I'm not th- talking about throwing out expletives or anything like that. All right, we're going to keep it PG, but... Love that the offense has, seems to, and a lot of the young hitters, especially driven by a lot of the young guys, um, has taken kind of a step forward, and that that looks good. Michael Massey was taking better at bats this week. He walked a, a bunch for him. Uh, you know, he he got some hits as well. Michael Garcia came up. Nick Prado has been a revelation since he came up. Shout out to Royals Farm for saying, "Hey, this guy's approach is different. You guys need to see him." And then they promoted him, and he looks like a different player. Uh, even Hunter Dozier has had a game or two where he's hit a little bit. So, you know, I'm excited for the offense, you know, even in that game where uh, Lyles gave up, you know, eight or eight runs, they climbed back into that game. So um, it's been good to see them at least battle offensively. Yeah, that's uh, that's something that we can at least hang our hat on. And we'll talk about a little bit in our spotlight segment. My theme for this week is going to be simple. It's going to be one line, and I'm going to leave you with it. And it is, of course, a Letter Kenny reference because I love the Canadian hit sitcom Letter Kenny. Uh, if you know anything about this show, there's a coach on the show whose wife has passed away, and he is constantly referencing her. But he goes to a speed dating event, which is hilarious unto itself. And he uh, <laughs> he looks up at the ceiling and he says this. And I'll say the same thing about the Royals: Look away, Barb. This is rock bottom. <laughs> That's Mark's best Canadian accent. I'm not kidding. That's the whole thing. <laughs> Royals Weekly is brought to you by All In Physical Therapy. For one-on-one personalized physical therapy, we choose All In Physical Therapy. They took excellent care of our mother after surgery left her with pain and limited mobility in her arm. She loves to work out, be active, challenge the devil to an elaborate fiddling contest. The excellent specialized care she got at All In Physical Therapy had her back to being active in no time. She just told me she's afraid she might be a Highlander. No lie. She is immortal. She has inside her blood of kings. Uh, That's right. All In Physical Therapy knows how to help athletes recover. It's owned and operated by Lee Summit's own Tommy Freevert, a former Arena League football player, Northwest Missouri State Bearcat, and a hell of a guy. They have offices in both Blue Springs and Lee Summit, so get over there to work with Tommy as soon as you can. Tell your doctor you want to do your physical therapy with the best of the best at All In Physical Therapy. To learn more, give them a call at 816-427-5300, that's 816-427-5300, or visit their website at allin-pt.com, that's A-L-L-I-N-PT.com. Coming into the season, we worried about the pitching and felt at least okay about the Royals' offensive potential. Yes, they were a young bunch, but this was a group with plenty of offensive talent and even more on the way in AAA and the minor leagues. But for the first few weeks, the offensive potential was a little hard to see. Uh, Through the first 21 games, the offense had a paltry 61 Weighted runs created plus, that is hard to read. It's hard to imagine an entire offense being that bad, uh, which was last in, in, in Major League Baseball. Uh, The lineup's issues with strikeouts and runners in scoring position were well-documented and a constant source of early frustration. 
but the tide has seemingly turned a little bit. In the last 14 games, the Royals are slashing. That means they have a batting average of 268, an on-base of 341, and a slugging of 467, which is an overall team OPS of 808. That's pretty good. And they're scoring 4.7 runs per game over that stretch. Mike, what do you think is the source of the offense's turnaround? I think it's mostly guys calming down who have been here all year. And then also the, some of those young guys taking a step forward. And that includes guys that have been brought up from AAA. Nick Prado, I think, was a big part of that. He's gotten some really good, timely hits. Um, driven, you know, it, Maybe not driven it out of the park as much as we would like, but he, I don't know that he's ever going to be a big home run guy. Michael Garcia's given us some juice. Freddie Fermin's given us some juice as well. And then guys like Michael Massey, have gone from being a complete pit at the bottom to contributing. And that's something right there. And, and, you know, Bobby, Bobby's having his ups and downs, but in the weeks when he's having his ups, he's a big contributor and Melendez will have a game when he's a big contributor. So I think right now what the Royals are kind of shooting for, or what you're hoping to see when you see the Royals is in a given day, you're not going through a stretch of two or three hitters that are giving you nothing that are giving you consistently bad plate appearances throughout a game. You can't have that. And they haven't had that in a couple of weeks. And so that's producing runs. A guy might have a bad game, but you don't need Vinny Pasquantino to do everything for you in the lineup now. And that's good. Yeah, that is good. It's interesting that you brought up Massey because he's a guy we haven't talked about that much lately, and we should acknowledge that he has started to turn some things around at the plate. You and I advocated for him to go down to AAA to do it, but it does look like he started to find his approach at the plate. He's taken something like six or seven walks, I don't know, after today's game. But before today's game, he had had like six walks in the last week, which is huge for him because he didn't have any for his first like 130 plate appearances. And so (laughs) that's a big turnaround. Now, is he where he needs to be? I don't know that that's the case. We still have to wonder like, okay, will he find, will he hit enough at, even with this new approach? Cause you know, you go from a, a 30 grade approach, which is what he had at, for the first 130 plate appearances up to a 45 grade approach. You still have to wonder, is that enough? You know, like, will he still hit enough, but it is, it is significantly better than he was to start the year. And that's the same thing for the Royals in a lot of ways. Like one of the things that I point to is their strikeout rate. It has gone down significantly. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, they're down to 20.8 strikeout rate over the last two weeks, which is ninth in, in Major League Baseball in that time. They were much higher than that in the high 20s, 27 percent or something like that previous to that. And so literally they're just putting the ball in play more. And you're right. That is because of guys like Nick Prado, Michael Garcia, you know, Freddie Fermin coming up and putting the ball in play. Michael Garcia doesn't strike out a ton. Nick Prado and his new approach is really having a much better, bigger impact with two strikes, just like putting it in play the other way. That's having a huge impact on his ability to, to just not strike out, to put more balls in play is hugely beneficial for them. Cause when they do, you give yourself a chance, right? Like it's, it's an old baseball adage, but like, you know, a strikeout is an out every time, right? You put the ball in play, you got a 30% chance of it being a hit, you know? And so it's nice to see them not striking out as much. I don't know that they're taking more walks or anything, but at the very least they're putting more balls in play and that's going to have a a big impact on their offensive potential. I do have to wonder though, because the last couple of weeks too has also seen a turn in their schedule. They've gone from facing really good teams with really good pitchers to facing the Oakland A's of the world, right? And so I question to what degree is this a schedule thing? Do you think that that's sort of what it is like lightning in a bottle because of the, of the schedule or will we see this offense persist through the more difficult pitching. I, I honestly think we will see it persist. 
as guys continue to get more experience in Major League Baseball. You know, I, I think because we have track records for a lot of these guys in the minors that are different. You know, Michael Massey never had was never an extremely patient hitter, but he wasn't go 130 plate appearances without walking. You know, he wasn't swing at literally everything, which is what he was doing. Um, so I think you're going to see a, a little bit better approach. I think when you bring up a Nick Prado and a Michael Garcia, that automatically makes your lineup a little bit more patient, a little bit more um, selective in, in the, the, their swing decisions and things like that. So I do think it's something that can be sustained. Now, there are players that that won't change. Salvador Perez isn't going to change, and we've, we've mentioned that before, but you live with the ups and downs. You know, MJ Melendez, I think, still still has room to take a step forward with that approach and things like that. Same thing with Bobby Witt Jr. But, you know, I, I do think the additions that they've made help them in that regard, help them to keep an offense that's more consistent. So I'm hoping that that continues moving forward. Yeah, I think the truth of whether or not it's like schedule or actual a step forward that the offense will persistently go. I think it's somewhere in between. I think you have to acknowledge the fact that facing guys like Kyle Gibson and who I couldn't even name the pitchers that they face for Oakland right now because that's how obscure these dudes are. Uh, the fact that they're that they're facing those guys does help. I mean, that's a tremendous help. There's no doubt about it. But I also think that building confidence facing that pitching will help carry them into the future, will help them settle down their approaches at the plate and be a little bit better. It's it's easier to hone in that approach when you feel like you're having some success with it against guys who maybe aren't going to be, you know, vying for the Cy Young this year. You know, and so it's great to sort of see them turn it around offensively. But of course, when you start facing guys like, you know, Pablo Lopez and you know, the really good pitchers of the of the American League, you're going to have a little bit more trouble, but it's nice to see them at least settle in and find success against some guys who maybe aren't top tier uh, pitchers out there. Mike, in terms of the long term potential, it's something I'm sort of we're settling our focus in on the long term since the short term is so uh, dire at the moment. Uh, <laughs> what does this offensive turnaround tell us about the long term potential for this offense? Well, I think it tells us a couple different things. One, you've got to find a way to get all of these young bats in the lineup together. You need Michael Garcia in there with Nick Prado, with Vinny Pasquantino, with Bobby Witt Jr., you know, possibly with Michael Massey, if he's going to continue to perform the way that he has this week, you know, and that's good. That's a good thing. You want to figure out those things. I also think it gives you something to be excited about in that that may make one guy and I am not saying who I would prefer or whatever, but it may make one of these young hitters somewhat expendable, like to be traded. And that's what I mean. And I know we're attached to this young group and we want good things for them, for the Royals, but we, there is a serious lack of pitching talent in this organization. And so, you know, that's a good thing to have. You know, if you decide, Hey, we don't need a Nick Prado and a Vinny Pasquantino, and you feel like you can go get something for Nick Prado, then you do that. Or you don't need an MJ Melendez if he's not going to catch for you, then maybe you you pursue something there. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it gives you something to be excited about. It gives you something to watch games about at least, you know, because honestly, if their offense is performing like this all the time, or at least consistently down the road, they're going to be competitive in games. But we're going to see games 12 to 8 and, you know, 10 to 9. <laughs> <laughs> which that was this week. Fun too. That was this week. Yeah. yeah that, that was this week, right? Like they've lost a lot of these games, but boy, they were in them. They made massive comebacks in two games. 
mm-hmm. this week because, you know, their offense was capable of getting hits. They had 13 hits. And I went to the game where they had like 13 hits and scored one six to nothing. But there's other been other games that got 15 hits. They're scoring 10 runs a game and that sort of thing. That is a, that can be fun. It can be a little frustrating when they end up losing them, but at least you're in it for that game. You know, that's a lot of fun. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree that, that that's at least going to be compelling to watch. Real controversial take that they might need to trade like MJ Melendez. We'll see how that how that falls on the on the Royals Twitter sphere. They hate yeah. giving away players. They I'm not saying they anything, need to. Really. I'm saying it's what might be best for the team. You know, yeah. we've yeah. got Gavin Cross. We've got uh, who's the Gentry. We've got, you know, all these we've got some hitters that are ready to go and no pitching. So you, you see what mm-hmm. we have pitching, right, guys? Everybody sees this. Yeah, and it, you're right. And there is, there, you know, we we've talked about how they've been bolstered by Michael Garcia, Nick Prado, Freddie Fermin. There are more guys coming. Yeah, Nick Lofton, Samad Taylor, you know, uh, G- Tyler Gentry. They're all down in AAA right now. Samad Taylor's having a good year. Lofton looks like he's turning it on a little bit. Gentry, his approach is really good right now. He's not getting the overall results, but he's having a pretty good approach at the plate. These guys are coming. Logan Porter's down there and having success. You know, th- there are guys on deck to really come into this offense. There is no one on deck when it comes to nothing, pitching. nobody. And so I think they're going to have to think about that. Um, it is interesting to me. One of the things that I want to see is like a diversity. I think we're learning that diversity in your lineup is a good thing. So if you're going to have a guy like Salvador Perez, you need somebody like Mikel Garcia, right? Like that's my thinking is like, if you're going to have a guy like Perez, like Edward Olivares, the guys who are going to be a little more free swinging, you better have guys like Mikel Garcia who are going to basically walk as much as they strike out because you need people on base, right? There are guys who need to be on base and guys who need to drive them in. And Michael Garcia is a guy who needs to be on base. And so it's great to see him get into the lineup and to just sort of make this whole thing a little bit more productive just in terms of scoring runs. Because we've seen how many solo home runs they've hit this year. It's nice to see somebody actually get on base and for then Salvador Perez to hit it out of the park. I want to ask you a little question here because it just sparked in my mind. We talked a little bit earlier about um, kind of offensive identities for hitters and them understanding their identity as a hitter or their role. And then you just mentioned it there. There's kind of these roles. Where does Michael Massey fit in there? What is his? See, he's really tough, right? To me, your role is typically, uh, should be, or your profile is mostly generated or designed by how much power you have, right? And so Michael Massey, so Salvador Perez can be a free swinger who strikes out too much and who, you know, um, doesn't walk that much because he hits with so much power because he's going to put up 25 to 35 home runs every year. He can be that kind of guy and you're okay with it. Right. Uh, Massey is not, does not have that kind of power. Right. If I were, if I were uh, talking to Massey right now and he had just gotten into minor league baseball, the thing I would say is, okay, the first thing you're going to learn how to do is take a walk, right? Because he needs to be a table setter. He needs to be a guy who's, he, he basically needs to be Mikel Garcia, Right. Be Mikel Garcia offensively, and he will be extremely successful. He has a pretty good hit tool, probably just as good as Garcia's, but he needs to be, if he were more patient at the plate, he would just be Mikel Garcia. That's his profile. That's what he needs to be doing. The question is, could he ever get there uh, in terms of his ability to have a good eye at the plate, to lay off pitches he shouldn't be swinging at? Sometimes it's a vision thing. It's like your ability to see where the pitches are going and understand what the pitchers are trying to do. You know, hopefully he gets there someday. He's kind of turned a little bit in that direction, but that's his profile because he's not going to hit 25 to 35 home runs in a season. He can't do it. I do want to talk about what it will take for the offense to reach that potential that we think it might have. Mike, what do you think are the next steps for this offense in terms of making progress and reaching its potential? 
I think, well, I'm going to put it this way. Young guys need to keep improving their swing decisions. And I'm going to put out some guys in particular, MJ Melendez, MJ Melendez needs to find the part of the zone that is his best place. Cause it's not the top of the zone. And he no. keeps swinging at them damn pitches. Mm. Um, you know, when he, when he swings at the bottom of the zone, he can really drive the baseball. Now, unfortunately he also needs to figure out how to hit a line drive and stop popping the ball up. But you know, really refining those swing decisions for him. And it's not just him. It's Bobby Witt Jr. too. Like, 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 did you ever envision a time when you might be saying, and I know it's way early on this. It's way early on the Michael Garcia stuff. I'm not even saying this, but put this in your mind. A year from now, would it be weird if you were saying, is Michael Garcia the better player than Bobby Witt Jr.? I, just offensively, I mean, look, look at what they do. What's their value going to be? Now, Bobby will hit way more home runs. And so that will help him. Okay. But if you're getting on base at a less than three, uh, less than 30% of the time, that's not good. <laughs> that's no. not good. No matter what you're doing. And so if Michael yeah, Garcia I mean, has an on base percentage of 400 and Bobby Wood juniors is under 300 in a year. There's no way to say that Bobby Wood jr. Is a better player offensively for sure. Yeah. I mean, he would have to hit 35 home runs and be, that'd be the case. <laughs> um, I, yeah, no. And so that, that's the thing you, you know, Melendez has to improve those swing decisions. Bobby Witt Jr. has to improve those swing decisions. Um, you know, if that's happening, I think this team shoots into the stratosphere because you already got it with Prado. You already got it with uh, Vinny. You already got it with Michael as far as swing decisions go. Now, not that those guys don't have things they don't need to work on because they do. But, you know, if that ends up happening, you're talking about a team that can be a top five offensive team. Um, but, you know, we just got to wait and see if it happens. Yeah, I think they're probably one or two pieces away offensively from reaching those heights. I think, you know, and that might be guys who are in AAA right now. It might be Tyler Gentry. It might be Samad Taylor. It might be, I th I'm, I'm big into the notion that a lineup needs to be full. Like it doesn't need to be two or three guys at the top who can really do it. And then six guys who are useless. It needs to be top to bottom guys who are going to contribute offensively in some way. And so you know, having guys like Mikel Garcia and Nick Prado and that sort of thing starts to fill out that lineup just a little bit more. And so now, you know, we have Vinny, we'll have Bobby. Hopefully he can sort of move closer to his potential. Same with MJ Melendez, but Mikel Garcia, uh, who'd I just say? Nick Prado. And then Salvador Perez is already there. So you're talking about five or six guys right now who you're like, okay, I see the offense in terms of like the version of it will be here in the future. Uh, then you add guys like maybe Tyler Gentry, maybe Gavin Cross when he's ready or Caden Wallace, maybe, uh, you know, some odd Taylor is probably a decent piece. You know, it becomes more depth. It becomes more that rotation is really going to help you and you, you're not going to struggle big time offensively for stretches. Hopefully they get there. I, I, maybe it takes a piece from outside the org as well. That's possible. But I, I think we're like one or two pieces away from this offense really looking solidified. And if you want to think of about what that looks like, think about that 2015 Royals team. Once, once they went out and added a, Kend you know, they had a Kendris Morales, they had a uh, Ben Zobrist. Once Zobrist came in in the middle of that season, you had a lineup where it wasn't like, well, this guy's an automatic out. Like everybody, you know, even when guys, even for guys who were chasers like uh, Escobar was, you know, he, he may chase, but he may also go on a 20 game streak where he's getting on base because he's just hitting mm -hmm. the ball. Um, and so, you know, those were lineups that were very deep or very long lineups where it wasn't like, oh, well, this these three guys are automatic outs already. Like, we know that. 
And so, yeah, I, I understand that. I think that's great, but I, I really think it lies in the improvement of maybe, you know, three or four guys, Massey, mm -hmm. Bobby Witt Jr., MJ Melendez. The Royals split time at home and on the road this week with a four-game series against the beloved Chicago White Sox and <laughs> to end their current homestand. Don't worry, they've only ever stabbed one Royals coach, so it's not a big <laughs> deal. Uh, so after the White Sox, they're going to, uh, they do that to end their, uh, their current homestand. And then they go on a three game, they start a road trip with a three game set against the Brewers of Milwaukee. Uh, Mike, tell us about the Chicago White Stockings. They're not doing great this year. Let's hear about them. Yeah, man. Our guy, Pedro Grafal inherited a train wreck, man. That thing is rough. They get, they, they ship a Brayu out and then leave you with guys like Luis Robert, who, who knows what's going on with that guy. Great player, but yeah, okay. Um, you thought they were going to be really good. They got the guy. So Greggy's going to go up against Dylan Cease, but the, the White Sox are thirteen and twenty-three. By the way, fourth in the, the talent American League level Central. does not match the uh, the, the yeah, outcome. The win loss, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because you have yeah, okay, whatever. Um, so Greggy will go against Dylan Cease. It's going to be a rough White Sox series, people. We got Dylan Cease in game one, twenty-seven-year-old righty from Georgia. 4.58 ERA this year, 1.44 whip. Those are both very high for Dylan Cease because last year I think he was number two in the Cy Young voting, if I'm not mistaken. Something like that. He was and really good. just a great fastball, devastating uh, curveball, or is it a slider? It's a slider that's it's, really it's good. Slider that, um, so, yeah, the guy is just unbelievable. Um, but it's slider, fastball in the mid to upper 90s, curveball changeup, throws the slider about 40% of the time and the fastball about 38% of the time. Looks like his velocity is a little bit down, and that could uh, be why he's struggling a little bit more this year. But Dylan Cease is a he's a guy, so that's going to be a tough one. Hopefully, Zach can trick him with some of his junk he's throwing up there. And then uh, Lyles will then go up against Lucas Giolito, twenty eight year old righty out of uh, from California. He's having a little bit of a bounce back this year. Three point six seven ERA, one point one WHIP, uh, fastball in the you know lower to mid 90s slider changeup has been his calling card for a long time curveball that he bar barely throws um bounce back season so far for him um mostly because his fastball is playing a little bit better his changeup was last year anyway struggling a little bit so i'm interested to see what it looks like that uh the day that you know when he goes up against lyles because he was known as one of the best changeups in baseball for for a while and so I'm interested to see him throw that. And the third game, Keller will go against unknown. We don't know who the White Sox will be throwing in that third game, but we're hoping that Brad Keller doesn't walk the first batter of the game. That's all we want, Brad. <laughs> One step at a time. Don't walk the first guy, okay? Like, that's all we're asking. Don't walk the first batter of the game. You know what I'll say about next week, though? We're playing the Brewers after that, and I would really like to see a game in that ballpark. The Brewers yeah, are one of my favorite National League teams, and I've never been to the ballpark there in Milwaukee. So one of these days, you and I got to get up to Milwaukee. All right, I'll I'll go. Uh, but probably got great sausages in that ballpark. Um, Ooh, yeah. The the Milwaukee Brewers are nineteen and fifteen. They're doing well, second in the NL Central uh, to the mighty Pittsburgh Pirates, who nobody saw leading the NL Central at this point. So hey, guys, keep hope alive. It can happen for us. We can turn this stuff around eventually. Um, anyway, the Brewers, uh, they have a little below average offensively. The story of their team over the last few years is great pitching staff, not as great offensive production. It's basically the same this year. They're below average offensively, but they're getting good seasons from guys like Rowdy Telez and Brian Anderson. 
uh, pitching has been good with a 3.65 ERA, though they're fielding independent pitching for their staff is quite a bit higher. So maybe they're getting a little good batted luck ball or good luck in terms of batted balls. Uh, but they're eighth in the major leagues in ERA uh, on the backs of good starting pitchers like Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Wade Miley. They're all having good seasons this year. A good, solid baseball team who is going to compete to make the National League playoffs. Uh, hopefully we can get lucky and, and we run into their back-end starters instead of those those good front-end starters that they have. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just A Bit Outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, I've had a hellacious week, just work-wise. Let me, hear me, tell me some good news. Tell me some good news about my nephew. I love him to death. What's your Just A Bit Outside for this week? My just a bit outside, I was asking my wife what I should talk about, and I'm like, you know, Mark's right. My life's pretty boring, okay? I don't do a whole lot. So you know what my what I was initially going to go with? I put I installed two new toilet seats today that I'm very excited about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm very excited uh, about these toilet yeah. seats. They're going to change they're, my life. They're soft clothes toilet seats. I'm really excited about them. <laughs> I love it. You're like, that's what I wanted to talk about, but I guess I'll talk about this other thing instead. My wife said I should talk about my son taking his first steps. So that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> <All right. laughs> no, go with the toilet seats. <laughs> uh, my baby boy took his first steps a couple weeks ago, actually. Um, and it's great. It, you know, you watch it and it's like, Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, you're always worried. Cause I'm, is my kid meeting his milestones and all that sort of stuff. But you know, he stood up and he walked and well, he didn't really stand up. He, we, we helped him up and then he walked and my wife got a video of it cause I wasn't there, but she sent me the video, got his actual first steps on video. And now though, he's just walking everywhere and it brings a level of pride that is only matched by the level of terror that I have because I mean, he falls all the time. So he's hitting his head. He's, you know, you know, and sometimes he's like, eh, no big deal. And sometimes he's like, ah, you know, um, but it's really cool to watch, but it's also quite terrifying parents out there. You know what I'm talking about? Um, but yeah, it's great. I love him to death and he's walking all over the place. When my wife and I, you know, had our son, we were like, you know, we really can't wait for three things. Him to start walking, him to uh, be able to talk, so that's what we're working on now, and then him to be able to wipe his own ass. And so we're 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 like we're like one thing down, two to go, you know. And uh, and so yeah, great job him. And and now my blood pressure is just a little higher. And he will have video evidence to show a doctor later in life. Like, why is your brain not working right? Well, I did <laughs> fall down a lot when I was a kid. So I have, I have proof of that. Uh, so, yes, very proud of you, Lincoln. Good job, buddy. Um, I'm talking about something else. It's not as cool as toilet seats, but we'll, we'll see. We'll get there. Actually, it's cooler. What am I saying? It's much, much cooler. Um, so I got a call this week from one of our sponsors, the JC Knapp, who called me this week and was like, hey, I'm trying to do this thing with girls soccer here in Kansas City. And is there any way you could sort of put the word out there about that? And we started talking about it and it sounded like a great idea. And I was like, I'm all on board with this thing. Let me know what's going on. This sounds super cool. Basically, he has two daughters who I think two, I might be wrong about the number, uh, but he has daughters who play soccer. And what he notices that a lot of the club teams here that have both boys and girls soccer end up giving a lot of the attention to the boys team. And, and it's sort of all the attention and all the pub and all that sort of stuff goes to the boys team. And he was like, I'd like to do something a little different. I'd like to start a club that's just for girl, a girl's teams and a girl's club. And they get all the attention. 
they get all the pub, they get all the sort of resources and stuff like that. And so this way you don't see the inequity of like the boys team getting all the resources. And so he's starting his own girls soccer club here in Kansas city. It's backed by some very interesting and cool people. Uh, they're working with Casey current. They're doing all this different stuff or people who at least are affiliated with Casey current in some ways. Um, and so I wanted to just get the word out there because he asked me to pub it in some way. And I'm totally down to support uh, any type of movement to better uh, give attention to or fund uh, youth women's sports. It's, it's like, or girls sports, I guess, when they're, when they're youths. Um, so if, if you're interested in like having girls try out, if you have your own girls, you want to check out a, a different club type situation for your girls, you need to go to their website at, it's called Athena FC. So their website is Athena FC soccer.com. Um, so Athena FC, A T H E N A F C soccer.com. They're doing this thing. And, and I read up on their website. I wanted to learn all about it. And I love the concept because it's really about building confidence for young girls. It's not about like, oh, we're going to be some elite club that's going to travel around the country and that sort of stuff. It's about helping girls build confidence. And so they're doing a process they call un-tryouts for them. And so it's like, it's, it's not about like, oh, you made it, you didn't make it. It's like, you know, helping them learn about what the club's about and the culture and things like that. And like, it, it has a much more feel of inclusivity than exclusivity. And that's what they're going for. It's about making kids feel good about themselves, making them learn through the process of playing sports or helping them learn about themselves and about, you know, competition and teamwork and things like that through the process of playing sports. I love that message for kids. I think that is so super important. I think our sort of elite club youth sports stuff is not good. It's not good for kids. It doesn't help them have healthy relationships with sports. And I'm really glad to see that one of our sponsors is taking it on themselves to help help the culture of youth sports in Kansas City. I think that's really, really important. I agree. So check and that out if you have if you if you have a daughter who's interested in, in soccer and you want to sort of talk about they have tryouts for all ages. They're gonna have clubs for a bunch of different ages. So check them out at AthenaFCsoccer.com. Yeah and with the the current and the beautiful facilities they're they're you know, building and, and growing that, uh, that organization, especially with the people involved. I mean, it's Kansas city's elitist of elite who are really, uh, promoting that and, and building it up. I not only can't wait to get into that new facility once they've, they've opened it, but, uh, it's great for, for girls sports in Kansas city. So let's keep growing that. Thank you, JC for doing that. And, yeah. uh, yeah. yeah, now I, and I get, I get parents that talk to me about that stuff all the time. So now I can talk about that. Yeah. And I, I think this is a women's world cup year, right? Like this is, they're going to do that this summer, I think. Um, and so another great time to, to start getting a little girl into soccer is, you know, when they're going to see all this cool, excellent U S women's national team play this summer, you know, they're going to have, they're going to be competing for a world cup to be the best in the world. And I, that'll be a really fun time to start seeing a soccer team get going and that sort of thing. So we're big supporters of Athena FC, uh, here at uh, Royals weekly, and we hope you'll be uh, supportive of them as well. That's all we have for this week. We will be back next week. Boy, did we go long. I'm going to be up all night editing this thing. Uh, <laughs> yes, so, but don't worry about me. I have a lot of fun doing it. So uh, we, we will be back next week to talk more Royals baseball. Until then, be good to each other. And go Royals. <laughs>